This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. What up? Hey, good Saturday morning to you. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM. Hey, good Saturday morning to you. Getting things up and ready to go for a whole nother weekend. And holy cow, do we have a show lined up for you today. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. There is so much to do in such little time in our two hours together every Saturday morning. So let's kick into it. Welcome into the program, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, I would love to hear from you today. What's on your mind? We have bottom of the hour, Todd Starnes, host of the Todd's Starn Show. He'll be joining us to talk about, uh, now we chatted with him a couple of days ago, so it's recorded, but we uh, chatted to talk about some of the latest current events, the latest of him being on the KQAM airwaves here, which you can hear weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Great guy, great individual. We love Todd Starnes, and we appreciate him uh, joining the program every opportunity that he gets, so we'll play that interview coming up at the bottom of the hour. Hour number two, interesting stuff. Now, we don't get to talk about the latest because we did this about a week or so ago. So it does not include the latest news of the cows that just fell down dead in southwestern Kansas. But we talk with Ryan Flickner, the Kansas Farm Bureau, as they are gearing into election season and talking about some of the endorsements that the Kansas Farm Bureau has made for election season. Also, the latest on egg when it comes to trade and COVID and inflation and some of that stuff. So we'll get uh, the take on the latest on the agricultural side. And wondering why, by the way, we have a food shortage and why food prices are so darn high when us as the consumer gets into the uh, goes into the grocery store and tries to buy a good on why things are so damn expensive. So we'll talk with Ryan Flickner about all that coming up in hour number two. And to wrap up the program, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General and candidate for governor for the state of Kansas. Yeah, we talk with him coming up to wrap up the program as well. So we have a loaded show for you today, and I don't know how we're going to cram all the stuff into it that we possibly can. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading for all your gold and silver needs. Uh, if you want any gold or silver, not just like buying the paper that shows that you have some somewhere, but actually buying it physically in person. He has it. He's one of the only guys that does have it. Go check out Phil's Coins. They're open up in about 20 minutes from now until 2.30 this afternoon. Also, this is the weekend. It's day number two of the KNA, the Kansas Numismatic Association's Coin and Stamp Show. That's going on from 9 until 4 this afternoon, and you can go and check that out as well. It's at the Cessna Event Center. It is free, free parking, free tickets to get in. All you got to do is just walk in and enjoy, and Phil Martinez and the team will be down there as well for the Coin and Stamp Show going on throughout the day today. So, Lots to talk about today, and I want to hear from you as well at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. I have a confession to make. Is Obviously, this is the time and place for it. It is the month for it. It is the day for it. It is the time. And some may know this, some may not know this, but I have a confession to make. I need to come out and address something for you. It's a very important, very imp- a very personal issue. It's something that I think uh, you need to be aware of about me. And I just can't hide it any longer. I can't hide my true feelings any longer. And I think this is the appropriate time to do it. I am officially a very proud papa. Ah, see what I did there? See what I did there? What did you think I was going to say? Come on, man. 
No, it is Father's Day weekend, Father's Day tomorrow, so happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I am, I got to say, being a dad is one of the coolest things in the world. My daughter just turned eight years old a couple of weeks ago, and the fact that she is growing like a weed makes me very, very sad. The fact that she's going up so fast, but now she's also getting into the fun age to be able to play before she thinks that dad's uncool. So I have to continue to find new ways to be cool. I also have to find new ways to annoy her a little bit because I am like a child myself and uh, we get to play as if like I'm her older sibling at times and get to, you know, pick on her a little bit and annoy her because that's just what dad does. But we have a lot of fun and being a dad, I never thought I would be a dad nor wanted to be a dad necessarily, but one of the coolest things that I've ever done and happy Father's Day to all the dads who get it, who know it, and who have a lot of fun doing it as well. So happy Father's Day. I don't know what you were thinking when I said I was going to come out and make a personal announcement. I <laughs> I mean, it's the proper month and it's the proper weekend. I think that it's the appropriate time for me to come out and say that I'm a proud papa. And I think there, if you thought anything else, then come on, man. Come on. Why is my... My thing's a little delayed here. I don't know what my board's going on for. Hey, uh, so there you go. Happy Father's Day. I want to know what your thoughts are and what your plans are for the Father's Day weekend. Are you going out and going fishing, going camping, going out into the wilderness and doing some fun? Are you barbecuing a little bit? Maybe you're going fishing. Maybe you're working around the house. Maybe you're just sitting down and enjoying the weekend. I will tell you this tonight. Tonight, I am excited. I'm going to get home after the program. I have some work to do. I'm going to mow the lawn, which I'm dreading because it's extremely hot outside. And as you know, being the Viking that I try to be, I am not liking this 100-degree weather. I don't want 95-degree weather. I want 25-degree weather because I am a Nordic, and I like the cold, and I glow in the dark because I'm pale skin. I don't like this hot weather, and it does not do well for me. I am peeling. Now, I have a good base tan right now. I really do. I've been out in the sun a lot, especially with last week with uh, Little Voice of Reason's eighth birthday party where we, she had a pool party, and I got fried. Boy, did I get fried. Uh, I'm starting to peel on my back and neck a little bit, but at least I'm starting to get a base tan. So if I can maintain this, then I'll be in good shape. Uh, so I'm going to go out today. I'm going to mow the lawn. We're going to get everything all ready in the backyard, and then we're going to start a bonfire, and we're going to grill uh, not grill, but we're going to put the little grate over the little fire pit and we're going to grow hot dogs and we're going to do marshmallows and we're going to have a great family night outdoors and it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's my Father's Day weekend. What I'm planning on doing tomorrow, we'll have some fun as well. I want to hear from you. What's your plans on your Father's Day weekend as well? Also, this weekend is an important weekend here in the state of Kansas and elsewhere as well. But Wichita is going to be holding, I believe, the is the parade this weekend, the uh, the Juneteenth celebrations. Obviously, Monday being Juneteenth, this is the first year where it's uh, notified as a official holiday to where the markets are closed, the federal government's closed as a federal holiday. So happy Juneteenth as well. Andy, what's Juneteenth and why do people celebrate this? This is an important one. And with the movement going on politically to where Republicans are actually showing to be the ones that actually give a damn about minority communities and actually wanting to work with minority communities all over the country, this is something that Republicans really have to jump on board with. And we should because it's an awesome celebration. It's the celebration of freeing the slaves in the country. I mean, who doesn't want to celebrate the, uh, you know, getting rid of servitude and people being under servitude? That's awesome. So happy Juneteenth. That's a great thing to celebrate. Now, obviously, the left side of the aisle always tries to radicalize it and take it to another level where they said that we should celebrate Juneteenth as really the 4th of July and remove the 4th of July as a federal holiday, which is really stupid because the 4th of July is the independent war everyone symbolically 
even though it didn't happen at the very beginning. It was the symbol of what it was intended to be and what the Founding Fathers even said of what it was intended to be. So we should have both of them. And 4th of July and Juneteenth are great celebrations of freedom, Juneteenth specifically for those that were under servitude. So happy Juneteenth as well and Juneteenth weekend. I believe the parade is going on later on today here in Wichita as well for that one. So that's going to be exciting. And I think we do need to mention that. Obviously, Democrats are not representing the minority community, which, again, we hate identity politics. We should just be representing American citizens, period, end of story, regardless of what your skin color or race actually is, because narrowing them down to that certain race is just racism. That's what it is. But if they have to look at it, then they're doing a really piss poor job of it, because look at what happened down in Texas with the 34th district of the state with uh, uh, Myra Flores. Or Mida Flores, if you say it in the uh, Hispanic lingo. But Myra Flores, a Hispanic gal, the first woman to be elected that was Mexican-born into Congress and elected as a Trump conservative that talked about spreading America first, sealing the border, American values, family values, and she won in a district in Texas that's been a hard, deep, blue district for 150 years there hasn't been a republican representing that seat in 150 years and the last one that did only represented for a year before they got booted out so it's been a deep blue district and a republican just waltzed in as a conservative as a trump supporter and as a mexican-born citizen who's now a u.s citizen married to a border patrol agent who just rocked that district making a district that's 85 percent hispanic swing to the right side of the aisle Now, that tells us a few things, doesn't it? It tells us the fact that, number one, the Democrats are not representing the people that they say they are. Uh, The base of what the Democrat Party thought they had is straying, and that the Hispanic communities, the African-American communities, the quote-unquote minorities that are the uh, base of the Democrat Party, they're not liberal. They want family values. They want the American values. They want common sense in our country. And finally, finally, they're starting to recognize the fact that the Democrats don't represent what they want. They've been told and conditioned to vote that way for so long, and now we're starting to wake them up from that sense. So with all that going on, we have Juneteenth, we have Father's Day, we have uh, other stuff going on. We also want to talk about the dead cows out in southwest Kansas with the agricultural side. There's a lot to get to today, and I open up the floor to you to talk about whatever you want to at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Let's go right to it here. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy, it's Sean. It's Mr. Sean. How are you, sir? How am I? Hey, I'm on my horse today. So no, I'm going to make this. Go for it. You got, make... to, you got a few minutes here, so the uh, the time, the floor is yours, my friend. Okay, first of all, I'll, I'll make it as fast as I can. Just let me say, firstly, uh, congratulations on your newborn, number one. Number my, two. My, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. My newborn? <laughs> I have an eight-year-old. I don't. I don't have a newborn. I don't. I'm not. Uh, I'm not starting from scratch here. That's a. Uh, I don't know that I want to do that all over again. <laughs> well, I must have misunderstood you. No, no, no. Yeah, I have my eight-year-old daughter. I don't have a brand newborn. Golly, that would be. Uh, um, that would be some sleepless nights, and I would not be on the radio for a while if that were the case. But thank you. I uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, secondly, since you're a uh, luminescent, 
get more sunlight, you'll grow brighter, you'll glow brighter in the dark, make it easier for your wife to find you in the bed. Well, see, I used it as my own flashlight to be able to find the restroom in the middle of the night if I was glowing in the dark, you know, with my pale skin. So there there are benefits to being pale of skin that way. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I got a gripe, man. Okay. I got a gripe. What you got? This time, they done gone too far. Hmm. The World Health Organization, in its politically correct wisdom, has decided, I don't know if you heard about this last week, but they decided that they're going to rename monkeypox. That's because apparently monkeypox originated in Africa, and now that it's spread to a few other countries from Africa, it'd be racist to call it monkeypox, so they're going to call it COVID something or other. Well, thank you very much, Doctor Who. I wouldn't have known that if you hadn't told me but since you did now i don't like africans because it makes me feel like whenever they get on the cruise ship they're buggering each other on the high seas and spreading that stuff around the world fantastic you know i just got to ask the question again andy does all the crap that goes on on this planet all the crazy stuff does it ever give god a headache and if it does what does he take does he take kylenol or does he take excedrin uh how does he keep his sanity in an insane universe? Okay, well, does he does like uh, use aromatherapy, uh, CBD oil? Uh, does he listen to Stephen Hill's Hearts of Space on uh, on on uh, Sunday night? Or or uh, 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 how about this? Uh, does he have the Calm app downloaded to his iPhone? Does he even use an iPhone or is it an Android? And finally, finally. Does God listen to James Earl Jones read the Bible? For crying out loud, Andy, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I need all the above plus alcohol therapy, and I got a session coming up here in about two hours. So <laughs> There you go. Well, okay, let's break some of this down. First off, I think he does do all of the above, but I don't think it's James Earl Jones. I think it's Morgan Freeman that reads the Bible to him for that soothing voice. I'm Morgan Freeman, and I think that <laughs> I think that's going to be the soothing voice for him. Here's the thing about monkeypox. Yes, they changed the name of it, and it's because progressive liberals that are so obsessed with identity politics thinks that it's uh, offensive or racist to have the name of something that's been the name of something for a very long time. Monkey. Here's the weird thing about monkeypox. Monkeypox has been very rare and has been isolated to Africa uh, in certain regions of Africa for years and years and years for a very long time. It's nothing new. They know all about it. But now all of a sudden, after we have a COVID pandemic globally, and then we see other variants of the COVID pandemic very uh, spread all over the place, now all of a sudden we see monkeypox that for years has only been in one isolated region of the country, of one continent is now starting to branch out all over the world. So I find that very mysterious and the things that make you go, hmm. But then yeah, it's it, the wording and the changing of the name is stupid because that's what it's been called. And now we're going to change the name of it because it's offensive since it comes from Africa. It's, it's the low IQ left-wing progressives that are way too emotional about everything and that feel like it's going to be a trigger for those that are offended by simple stupid things so but i agree with you i mean that makes my brain hurt when people just get offended by names and words like that just like the wuhan virus that you know comes out of wuhan china is somehow offensive in some way shape or form just like the uh, spanish flu how the spanish apparently uh, are to blame because it was named from spain instead of just originating from spain i mean they they go overboard with having to change these names for the PC culture that is ruining America. And you're right. God, it's, God's just looking down and looking at us and shaking his head. He's like, man, 
you guys are stupid, man. It's uh, You guys are having a really tough time down there and uh, may need to give you a little nudge here a little bit later on. We, You're right. You and I, we need some therapy to go through because we're going to explode if we continue to see all the stupidity. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? Uh, speaking of uh, the Wuhan flu, I'm going to go and try and see uh, Top Gun tomorrow mm. out to Warren West. Um, I saw where it's an IMAX, but I heard about a new format I've never heard of before called ScreenX. And apparently that's a pretty cool format. It gives you, um, uh, apparently they got screens on the side of the theater that come on or something. I don't know. I'm thinking probably if the, if it's in ScreenX, probably during certain sequences, like maybe the air sequences, if there's, it's kind of like a wraparound view, sure, but not 360 degrees, probably more like a 180 degree field of view. So you can see out of your periphs, you know, from the sides. But anyway, I'd like to go and see it tomorrow. But uh, for the last two weeks, I've been suffering on and off, off and on again from, um, uh, it feels like the latest strain of the uh, COVID virus. And it's a oh really my. strange, it's a really strange thing. I mean, I'm not, it's not like I was when I had the uh, 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 the original virus the first time two years ago, but this one is, uh, um, it started out with a fever, and it only lasted like 10 minutes, then it went away, then it came back 10 minutes later and was around for five minutes, and then it was, uh, then it was gone. And since then, I've been coughing up a lot of mucus, you know, I've had a, a really bad cough early in the morning. And, uh, from that, trying to get it all out because it's, uh, congested my, my, my lungs pretty bad. And, uh, not only that, uh, about a bronchitis. Oh my, on. you're just saying, uh, well, you got to take it easy. Maybe it might not be a good idea to go see the movie if, uh, if you're hacking stuff up like that. Here's what, here's what I say is first off, uh, hopefully everything pans out all right there. But, uh, first off, take. Uh, not that this is medical advice in any way, shape, or form, or else they're going to come after me. But uh, for my personal recommendation on things to help with, especially lung issues, is vitamin D3, magnesium, and iron. You take some of that stuff, and that's literally what boosts your immune system, specifically for lungs, so that way you don't get things like pneumonia or bronchitis or that sort of thing. Drink some tea. Also drink a little bit of whiskey, which I know you probably will anyways, because that helps burn things out as well. So uh, you do some of that stuff, you get some rest, eat a little salsa, burn some crap out, sweat it out, and you'll be feeling great by the tomorrow. Well, I tell you, I take uh, a multivitamin for guys uh, 50 plus I, every morning. I take 5,000 I use of vitamin D, about 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. Uh, 20 ounces of caffeine. <laughs> Good. Well, and include that Include that magnesium. If you're taking a specific vitamin D pill, then it works, but it doesn't work as effectively because it needs to bind with magnesium. So try and find some concentrated magnesium to put in there with you. Yeah, okay, I can do that. And what about zinc? Uh, zinc as well, yes. Zinc works just as uh, – you're right. It's, it wasn't iron. It was zinc that uh, – uh, that you need to take with that. So zinc and magnesium with the D3, and uh, you do that stuff in a concentrated form for each of those. Take it in the morning at night, and you'll be good to go. Again, not medical <laughs> advice. Go consult your physician before you, you know. Well, don't don't forget the uh, malted barley, wheat, and hops. There you go. That is see exactly. That's uh, that is another appropriate response to a medical <laughs> issues. <laughs> I love it, Scott. I got to. Uh, uh, good golly, I got to take a break, my friend. Sean, it's always good to talk to you. 
And happy Father's Day. Enjoy the weekend, Chung. Go enjoy your adult beverage. Go take your vitamins. Go get some rest. And if you do go see Top Gun, Chung, let me know. And uh, let me know how it goes. I'm looking forward to that one. Got to take a break. 25 minutes past the hour. When we come back, we'll talk about some cattle dying in southwest Kansas here briefly. Also, we'll get to Todd Starnes after the bottom of the hour and more. It's Kansas Talk. It's Saturday morning right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. segment no worries bottom of the hour break right around the corner here we have some callers on the line don't go anywhere don't hang up we'll get to you as soon as we come back from our break before we play our todd starnes interview right around the corner as well lots to get to lots to talk about is there is a lot to recap from this week elections cattle dying and falling over the board of education here in the state of kansas wanting to change curriculum getting rid of the fine arts is that what we need to do? Is that the appropriate course? We'll talk about some of that later on in the program as well. But we'll take some phone calls when we come back right around the corner. It's Candace Talk right here on The Big Talker. KQAM, stay here. Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Good Saturday morning. Happy Father's Day weekend to you. Happy Juneteenth weekend to you as we move through. Starting off another weekend, another hot one. Supposed to be 100 degrees like for the next five, six days. Can we please get a break? Look, I enjoyed the winter when it was 20, 30 degrees outside. I was still wearing my t-shirt. I was still wearing my shorts. I was rocking it. Now, I can't go any less than that. (laughs) to be able to function in society. So I'm struggling a little bit with this 95 degree weather, but I guess that's what ice cold heat or ice cold water and air conditioning is all for. But man, I tell you what, the electric bill is going to be fun this month, especially with the energy bills that continue to climb and inflation and everything else is just trying to kill us. Thanks, Biden administration. We really appreciate you trying to save us from ourselves. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, sir? First of all, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you. You've been you as talking well. about your little girl for the past what is it, seven years now, or six years? Yeah, six years. She, yeah, she that, just she wonderful. just turned eight, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, oh it, my it, gosh, eight! I know it. I, yeah. I can't believe it. She turned eight. We had a pool party last weekend for her and her friends, and uh, it is unbelievable how quick she's growing. Yes, you asked about Father's Day. I tell you what. Um, I am so fortunate because my children, all of them, call me weekly, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes twice a week, just to ask how I'm doing, and they tell me that they love me. And I have grandchildren that call me to tell me that they love me, and also uh, can I uh, bring them over some ice cream or something? But uh, you know it. what? Father's Day is so beautiful, and I thoroughly, almost, to me, Father's Day is almost weekly because of the love I have for my children, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, which is which is great. 
uh, say, uh, I heard you coming out yesterday on your program, and you, and uh, in a in well, in a way, anticlimactic. You 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 kind of um, you kind of bum me out. Not really. Say, uh, I'm not going to ask you to comment on you, but this is. For a 77-year-old man, this is what in the hell is going on in this world. One of the largest grocery stores here in Wichita that I shop at, mm-hmm. They for a gay pride month, and hey, if they want to have gay pride month, that's more power to you. But they have, they're selling dozen gay pride rainbow striped donuts that you can buy. You can buy a dozen of them, wow. and they're displayed in the store. And like, okay, Andy, what in the hell are you people doing with my country? <laughs> hey, I'm not part of that. I, you know what? If again, if they wanted to, and again, my my coming out, if you heard, which was you know kind of the tongue in cheek, was I have come out to announce that I'm coming out to uh, to publicly announce that I am a proud papa. That was my coming out. That was <laughs> that was as far as that yes. went. Yeah, but uh, no, I don't know. I it again. If you're a part of that community, all the power to you. I don't care at all. It doesn't make any difference to me. I mean, this is what we say all the time. We don't care it makes zero sense to me at all. So I don't like the identity politics. So if you're part of it and you celebrate it, cool, that's whatever. But, yeah, making the donuts, trying to, you know, make certain products tailored for that. I guess it's a marketing ploy to make some money. It didn't work out too well with the Juneteenth. I don't know if you've heard, but uh, what was it? Kroger, I believe, or was it Ben? No, I think it was Ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry tried to come out for Juneteenth and make a Juneteenth ice cream that they uh, apparently the black community didn't like. And they ended up calling them out and they stopped it. And even though it was on the shelves of the grocery stores, they had to take it away because they tried to make a Juneteenth ice cream that apparently came out and they said it was f- offensive. So they ended up getting rid of that. So it's a marketing play. They try to show their support by once a month, uh, one time a year and a month saying, hooray, you know, we celebrate a certain community. I don't like the identity politics. I like Juneteenth because that actually means something. You know, with like the ending of slavery, so that's kind of an important yeah, holiday. Sure. But I don't the following the, of the whole uh, uh, LGBTQ Pride Month thing. If you're part of the community, nothing against you. I don't care. Congratulations. I don't know why that needs to be such a big deal. Go about your life and live your life as that. But that doesn't need to be your full identity, and that's what bothers me. Yes, uh, I know you're going to have a car. Um Starns on, yes. and uh, I had an opportunity to visit with him. And I'll tell you, Andy, honestly, for radio people, for national radio people, they are the most wonderful people. Yeah. Uh, both him and his uh, his uh, co-host uh, Gracie. Mm-hmm. And I hear you playing those spots. And uh, boy, I was just out driving around, and I had to pull off the side of the road to uh, to do that. And in my opinion, it turned out okay. Yeah, oh, that's great. It's it's wonderful. I love the fact that you were able to get in and talk to him. I know that we air his show a little bit on a delayed tape, so the fact that you were listening to him live and were able to call in was amazing. Todd is a amazing guy talking to him on and off the air. His team that I work with is amazing. His um, The head of the radio station that he's flagshipped out of out of Memphis, Tennessee, and kind of his right-hand man that helps him with his company, uh, Dalton, he's actually our former county, Republican county Absolutely. chairman. Absolutely, Dalton. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he is Todd's right hand man. And he's the one that kind of operates his radio station down there. He's the one that signs up the affiliates. He's the one that kind of coordinates things. And obviously he's based right here in Wichita. So there's a deep connection here in Wichita. They're excited to be in town. And I absolutely love having them on the radio here. Wonderful. You know what, Andy, you have such a wonderful, wonderful radio station. Uh, uh, not to bug you, but uh, are you guys going to go on your HD uh, sometime soon with your three and four? That, that is a good question. I know, I know they're working on it. I don't. I, obviously, I don't think it's done yet, but I know that they are working on that. So I will let you know when I hear more on that one. Anyway, I want you to have the most beautiful Father's Day with your beautiful family, both your wife and your little girl. And, hey, uh, Andy, you're a wonderful, wonderful person. You're just a wonderful human being, too. And, by the way, I love your station. I also love your sports station, too. So take care and have a good one. Hey, you as well, my friend. Happy Father's Day, Frederick. It's always good to hear from you, and thank you for all the kind words. We, We love having you listen all the time. And happy Father's Day to you as well and to all the dads out there. Let's shift gears a little bit. Todd Starn sat down with us just a couple of days ago, which you can't hear on KQAM. Uh, on the afternoons right before my program uh, during the week from 2 to 4 p.m. right after Dan Bongino, wonderful guy, and we love to be able to sit down with him on occasion to talk about some issues and him being on the station, and this is what he said here on KQAM. Todd, how are you, my friend? Andy, it is so great to uh, hang out with you, sir, and uh, I just can't tell uh, say enough great things about uh, your great listeners, and it's always fun when uh, we see that Wichita area code pop up on the call screen. Yeah, I tell you what, people love your program, and we've gotten so much excitement from you already being on the air for the uh, month or a couple months that we've had you on. Uh, it's been an exciting time, and I tell you what, you're growing like a weed, man. We're seeing you pop up on new stations, new markets all over the place. You know, it's been really exciting, and uh, we're celebrating the fifth year of anniversary of the, of the radio show. And, and one of the things that, that we've tried to communicate with our listeners is just authenticity. We want to have a good time. You know, we're in a, a time slot where people are normally out and about for lunch. And yeah. so we want to cover the big topics of the day, but we also want to make sure we have a lot of fun and, and make it entertaining as well. And we're just so thankful uh, that we have such a strong uh, talk radio affiliate there in Wichita. Well, I tell you, there's never a shortage of things to talk about right now going into election season for sure, which I got to pick your brain on some of this stuff. The Democrats have zero platform right now, Todd. And as you and I love talking about elections, we love talking about candidates, we love talking about kind of, to me, I'm a nerd talking about the behind the scenes on how campaigns are running. I'm still curious on what Democrats are going to use as a platform because right now they don't have anything. No, but President Biden has burned that platform along with everything else in the country. And it's, it's been fascinating to watch MSDNC and the folks over at CNN as, as they now come to terms with, with their reality. And uh, over the past week or so, we have seen people, top Democrat strategists on those networks, uh, David Axelrod, uh, you got Don Lemon, uh, Van Jones just the other day really raising these questions about whether or not Biden is mentally fit, physically fit for the office of the presidency. These are stunning things uh, that the the Democrats and and topics that the Democrats are approaching that they would probably never, you know, never do with Barack Obama or another Democrat. But they understand how bad things are, are and how bad things are about to get. 
Well, they have to. I mean, they went after Donald Trump for his uh, his ability and his mental state uh, when this doctor came out and said, yeah, even with him eating a cheeseburger from McDonald's every day, he's healthy as a horse and he's fine and he's great. Uh, and he tested higher on the mental state than most of them already, which was kind of ironic. So they have to bring this up. They've talked about it for the last four years. They can't just have it disappear, can they? Well, they can, and they normally do, uh, which which shows us how bad things are in the, the White House right now. Uh, and one of the big problems with the Biden administration is they selected people based on, on their identity card instead of their, their actual abilities, uh, whether it be in health and human services with Dr. Rachel Levine or uh, you have Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who uh, is back from maternity leave. Uh, and now you've got um, the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who actually told people her qualifications were that she was a black female lesbian immigrant. And she's been the worst press secretary in modern American history. Yeah, that is very true. The identity politics, which I don't know if it's going to serve them well, is starting to backfire on them. We see... Obviously, the push for the gun control issue after the shooting in Uvalde, which, you know, we can get into that here in a little bit as well. But uh, they're trying to push this minority and trying to push the LGBTQ and trying to push Pride Month and trying to push all this stuff. But, Todd, as we're seeing with even with the elections right now, the first black senator obviously was a Republican. Now the first elect congresswoman that was Mexican born is a Republican after the primaries this week in Texas. This is a shot in the foot for Democrats, even for their base, isn't it? Andy, that South Texas race is is a bellwether race. Uh, it was the first time in over 150 years that a Republican won a congressional seat in South Texas. So that is a big deal. And, and I, I think as the Democrats, you know, set their eyes on the midterm elections, they, they know what's happening. They know what's at stake. Look, uh, they did a, a poll came out. After the uh, the Democrats called for the uh, for the gun control, and their numbers actually went down, and the reason why is because most Americans see through this. They see through the legislative ploys, they see through the politics, and they realize that at the end of the day, none of these new proposed gun laws would do anything to stop these mass shootings. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that they're going to get through this bill? Mitch McConnell has come out on the Senate side and said if the bill's written as they talked about with the layout, that he would support this bill. They had the panel with 10 Republicans in the compromise or the agreement for this bill, and they want to pass it as quick as possible to say they've done something, which they pride themselves on being able to push back Democrat agendas on gun restrictions in general. But yet it opens up the door wide open for red flag laws. Is this something that we should be concerned about? That is the one thing we have to be concerned about, Andy. As I was reading the initial draft of the legislation, the red flag law component of it just popped right out. That in and of itself is the gun grab. Look, uh, at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers, only 3% of all gun deaths in America were the result of uh, of a person using an AR-15 or a rifle. Overwhelmingly, the number of people who were killed in America were killed by a handgun. Now, what's even fan- if you break that number down, you're looking at over half of those people were suicides. So you're more likely to get hit by a car and killed than you are being shot with a gun. I mean, those are just the cold, hard facts. And I know that we live in a society where truth is not absolute, <laughs> but in my world, truth is absolute. Yeah. And we do look at the facts. We do look at the numbers. 
This is ultimately about getting the handguns, Andy. And this legislation using the red flag laws would be able to do that. That's how they would get the guns. You're going to have law-abiding citizens getting knocks on the front door saying, hey, the neighbor reported you or somebody, you said something mean to the lady at the Chick-fil-A, and the next thing you know, they're taking away your weapons. And that that is not hyperbole. That actually happened during the school board um, controversies in Virginia where a guy raised a question about his local school board. He got a knock on the door from the FBI, and they confiscated his weapons. Wow. So the red flag laws already are in place in some degree, which is very scary. We'll talk with Todd Starnes. ToddStarnes.com is the website. You can hear him here on the KQAM airwaves every afternoon from 2 to 4 o'clock, which that agenda, Todd, just doesn't work. Every time that the national polls try to ask about the two-way issue, the vast majority of Americans say that they want their guns. They want the Second Amendment. While they want background checks, guess what? We already have them. But whenever Democrats come out saying they want to take away the guns, it's an extremely unpopular stance to take, which is why in the presidential election, Eric Swalwell dropped out. Kamala Harris was extremely unpopular. Uh, popular. Beto O'Rourke dropped out quickly. Even Joe Biden had the low approval ratings on that issue as well. That issue doesn't work. But yet, when they go on their media, I'm sure you've heard this clip from Michael Moore. Um, we need a moratorium, perhaps, on gun sales. Um, we need to, who will say on this network or any other network in the next few days, it's time to repeal the Second Amendment? I mean, that's the extreme they want to go to. Well, look, Michael Moore should probably consider a moratorium on the all-you-can-eat buffet <laughs> down at the Ryan Steakhouse. Um, look, I, th- this is, it, it's crazy, and, and the Democrats are trying this, but it's not working. Just remember what happened in the early days of the China virus pandemic. What did the Democrats do? They opened up the jails. They also opened up the border. So you have criminals that were released from jail. You have criminals coming across that southern border by the the hundreds of thousands. And these people are waging, quite frankly, urban warfare in every city in America. I mean, look at Wichita. You guys are going through the same crime issues that that we are uh, here in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, that so many other cities are dealing with. And by and large, everybody wants the right to be able to protect their their families from bad guys who storm into their homes and try to rob them. You know, just the other day, we had an elderly lady in Memphis, broad daylight, middle of the afternoon, Kroger parking lot, and a bunch of thugs um, robbed this woman. It was all captured on video. This is why people want to be armed. They want to protect themselves. Yeah, there it is. That's Todd Starnes. You can hear him the afternoons 2 to 4 right here on the Big Talker KQAM. We appreciate his time. We had just a minute or so left on that interview, but have to cut that short as we need to shift gears a little bit and chat with our weekly AARP conversation. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out, aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. And back on the line with us this week, Mary is with us. Mary, how are you today? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? We are doing great. It's always good to talk with you. You guys not only work with the uh, Fraud Watch Network that you have, trying to watch fraud here, but you also work in the communities, and especially with veterans across the state of Kansas and nationwide as well with the AERP uh, nationally. But you have a navigator tool that's been on your website, and it's kind of gotten a makeover. You guys have now released your veterans navigator tool kind of 2.0, haven't you? That's exactly right. We thought, you know, it needed more information, more resources to help veterans and military families and their caregivers. 
So we wanted to make sure that we provided some updates. And so those updates are um, we've expanded to include women veterans health care programs, specialty emotional and mental health services, specialty dental, oral, hearing and vision services, and family caregiver assistance programs. So in addition to the previous information, you can find new information on all of that. Wow, that is some really great information. Uh, really, anything that a veteran may need just to kind of go through their day. Well, yeah, and we found that the veterans are really um, you find it very frustrating to navigate the system sometimes to find out what they qualify for and then how they take advantage of that. And so this is a really a tool for them to be able to to navigate the system better. And we know that nearly sixty percent of all veterans are eligible for Veterans Administration or VA healthcare services. But we also know that less than half of those use those benefits. And a lot of the reason is because they're so difficult to navigate or they didn't know they were eligible, things like that. So it's really important to know that information. It is good. I was just going to ask you about that. How many of them aren't even aware that they qualify for certain programs like this uh, that they do, which would make their life so much easier at times? Yeah, exactly. And in Kansas, we we know there's about 211,000 veterans living here in our state, but only 30% of them have utilized their earned benefits. That's VA health care. So that's what those are the people we want to have this information and to know that they should should get on the health navigator or I'm sorry, the benefit navigator for for AARP and and find out what's out there and and how they can access them. Sure. At the same time, I know we've talked over the last few weeks as well about uh, frauds and frauds that are specifically targeting veterans as well. Does this app and this program also help with uh, trying to identify some of the frauds that are targeted towards the uh, the veterans in the state? This specific tool is more geared toward helping. Um, veterans and military families in the situations there, like I've served in 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 this in this area, and what can I qualify for? My dad served here, and and so it's more of that. But on the same page, and it's all at www.aarp.org/veterans, and so you can go on there. You can find the the um the health navigator the benefits navigator but you can also find our veterans fraud center which was you know released a month or two ago um and and that's what that does is is specifically tells you what frauds are targeted at veterans and how to avoid them so we've got a lot of tools that we um have been working on to to help veterans you know they've face so many difficulties serving our country and we think that it's it's um you know it's important that they don't have to jump through hoops and and you know find information that that's not out there when you know they can go to the AARP site and find out all this kinds of information. I love it. Great stuff on there. Also, at the same time, I'm sure uh, you guys always help a lot of individuals with maybe uh, finding jobs or finding opportunities to get involved back into the community with uh, with veterans specifically as well, don't you? Exactly, Andy. Thank you for bringing that up. We do have a Veterans Job Center as well. So, yeah, lots of resources. Um, you know, uh, some, some employers want to hire veterans. They don't know how to find them. So we try to match them up on this job site, um, give give veterans the tools they need to, you know, write a resume, apply for a job, things like that. You know, use their 
the, the skills that they gained in the military um, to translate in, into a job. So, yeah, lot, lots of uh, resources there for folks. So I encourage everybody to check it out. Find out about the, the Benefits Navigator tool, the Fraud Watch um, information, and also the job resources. So all kinds of things. And, you know, people share their stories, and, and you can find out situations that may fit your situation and, and, you know, find out what you need to do and what others have done. So yeah. it's a great resource. Absolutely. we got just about a minute left here. But talk about what else you guys are doing with the AARP. You guys always have some great virtual webinars. I know last week you talked with Secretary of State Scott Schwab as well to talk about uh, election season, getting registered to vote, and that sort of thing as well. But what else are you doing with the AARP? Exactly. We're doing a lot of voter engagement, voter education, so people know when they have to be registered, where they have to go to vote, how to get an advance ballot, all kinds of information. But we also um, have movies, Roman holidays coming up, Pretty in Pink. We've got cooking classes. There's a lecture about Broadway musicals, exercise classes, all kinds of information and fun things for people to do. And that's at aarp.org slash KS for the state of Kansas, and they can find that in our events section. I love it. Go and check it out. AARP.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on the social media to watch some of the live streams and different stuff they have going on there as well. Mary, we always appreciate it, and we'll chat with you guys again next week. Great. Thanks, Andy. I have noticed this program goes by way too fast. That again was AARP. We appreciate them. Thanks to Todd Starnes also coming on the show to chat with us. We'll get him back on again a little bit later to talk about his affiliation here with KQAM. Hour number two, right around the corner. We'll talk with Ryan Flickner, Kansas Farm Bureau. We'll talk about the heat. We'll talk about COVID. We'll talk about exports. We'll talk about inflation, the food shortage, and more. Plus, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General and candidate for governor here in the state. All that and more coming up. Hour number dose right here on Kansas Talk on KQAM. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. It's hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today on a Saturday morning. Starting off your weekend, it is Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. It is Juneteenth weekend. Happy Juneteenth, the celebration of ending slavery and servitude in this nation. Moving forward with the American dream that was created by our founding fathers of everybody having the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in this great nation. So uh, lots of celebrations going on this weekend and a lot of things to talk about. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK if you want to join in. But I want to get right to our next interview. It is another lengthy one of some great information. We sat down with, obviously, uh, agriculture being big here in the state of Kansas and in the community with uh, exports, with COVID, with uh, the war in Russia and the Ukraine, with inflation, with the food shortages, and a heck of a lot more. Now, we didn't talk about the cows dropping dead in southwest Kansas because by the time we had interviewed this, that had not happened as of yet. This happened last week when we sat down with Ryan uh, Flickner from the Kansas Farm Bureau. So we'll get him back on to talk about that a little bit later as well. But from the Kansas Farm Bureau, which you can find at fb.org, FBKS, I believe at uh, uh, ORG, you can find Ryan Flickner with the Kansas Farm Bureau, and this is what he had to say. Ryan, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Andy. Always a pleasure to be on on the air with you. Yeah, always good to chat with you. I know you guys are especially going into busy season right now, and there's a lot to talk about, especially with planting season right now, with election season right now, with COVID. 
COVID and all the uh, and all the different global markets that have been affected. So let's start off with the end of legislative session, going into election season. You guys are working heavily, obviously, with the election time. But talk about what you guys are focused on going into this season for the midterms this year. Yeah, sure, Andy. We had a pretty successful legislative session this go-around, obviously uh, followed some tax issues pertaining to a CRP grassland issue, and and certainly going back to December 15th and, and some of the other wildfires that we've had throughout the state, we were successful in getting a sales tax exemption on fencing supplies, mm, yeah. uh, get, get it put on the, the Kansas legislative books. So those were a couple of the big victories we had. Obviously, some conversations on the waterfront. There was a mega water bill that we successfully uh, killed uh, during the session, but conversations are continuing on that front because I think that topic will certainly be back in the 23 session and, and the future session. So that gets us smack dab in the middle of the election. And Andy, I know you and I have talked about this, but just for the listeners, Kansas Farm Bureau does have a PAC, a political action committee. We have a federal PAC and a state PAC. So that allows us to get in and, and make endorsements for U.S. Senate, U.S. House of Representatives on the federal front. And then we uh, traditionally and historically uh, made an endorsements in gubernatorial races, attorney general races, and then uh, in obviously the 40 Kansas Senate races when, when those uh, are up for election, which they're not this cycle but as well as the 125 Kansas House of Representative districts. So just real quickly, um, you know, we're Kansas Farm Bureau. We only have 105 members. Those are the 105 county farm bureaus that are all across this great state. Mm. And those grassroots members in each one of those counties form the absolute foundational bedrock for endorsement. So I know whether it's governor or if it is a more local office, you know, State House, State Senate, et cetera, uh, those candidates are, are now reaching out and having conversation directly at the county Farm Bureau level to, to figure out who we will endorse or the PAC will endorse here in the very near future. Very good. I know it's early. Uh, obviously, we're just getting done with the session and we're going into very early uh, campaign season. But has there been any endorsements made by the Kansas Farm Bureau as of now? We have our pack. Uh, you know, they typically meet uh, at least once a quarter. Uh, COVID kind of helped us convert over to the virtual world and, and make that work. Um, so they've met a couple of times already this uh, this calendar year, and they've made endorsements in the United States Senate for Senator Moran, a true champion of, of agriculture in the state of Kansas. Uh, to, to seek his third term back in the United States Senate. And then just about a week or so ago, uh, the PAC board met and, and officially made the endorsements on three of the congressional uh, U.S. House districts across the state, which we made endorsements for Tracy Mann in the Big First, Jake LaTurner in the second congressional district, and Ron Estes in the fourth congressional district. Fantastic. Very good. It's going to be a fun election season. I know that we'll talk probably as it gets closer as well with some of the other endorsements and things that are going on there. You mentioned some of the legislation. Talk about the water bill because that did cause a lot of conversation, especially in the agricultural community. What was included in the water bill and uh, why did you guys want it to, to be stopped? Yeah, great question. And, and you know, these, this is a conversation that's been taking place for, for decades. There was a previous water committee in the legislature about four or five years ago that, that we testified in front of quite a bit. And then the current uh, term back in the Kansas House, they've had a water committee as well. Uh, a lot of meetings last year in, in 2021 all across the state with really getting you know constituent input all the way from Garden City. I spent a week out there when, when the committee was having a hearing there. I believe they also went 
to Water One over in Johnson County and, and had some tours there as well. So when we talk about water in the state of Kansas, uh, water quality, that uh, oftentimes is uh, an EPA or a U.S. federal jurisdiction with delegated authority down to the state level, and KDHE here in Kansas gets to implement the water quality components. Water quantity, uh, and, and I'm, you know, personally, and I think Farm Bureau is very excited about this, water quantity is uh, ruled, regulated, and controlled at the state level. So we don't have federal jurisdiction or federal oversight. There are some interstate compacts with uh, Nebraska, Colorado, and Oklahoma that go back to the 1940s. But here in the state of Kansas, our water quantity conversation really does originate with the Kansas Water Appropriation Act, which was signed into law back in 1945. So we have a very mature state water law that dictates basically first in time, first in right. So if you uh, were the first rancher along a stream and you uh, you staked a claim to having however many cubic feet per second uh, of natural flow down there, then you claimed that 1945 uh, all the way to present, really the first in time, first in right gets access to that. So um, we, we are very uh, firm in our belief, and that's the right way to control and and regulate water in the state of Kansas, but that does also allow for a market to be created. So if you're a growing municipality, if you're a new industrial user and, and you know, you're coming to Kansas to relocate and you need to go purchase water, oftentimes those, uh, those entities do go out and try to seek the most senior water right that is available. Because again, if you're water right number one, there's a lot more value, there's a lot more certainty and predictability in water right number one than there is in water right number 50,000. So, uh, and that's roughly where I believe the state of Kansas is today. I think 50,800, give or take, water rights have been, been issued. Obviously, not all of those are active. But I think the, the, the you know, kind of getting around to the issue that we had with uh, House Bill 2686 this session is a roughly 300-page bill became public, and we could access it late on a Friday, and we had to notify the committee clerk by about 9 a.m. on Monday morning if we were going to testify in support or in opposition. And uh, with a 300-page bill like that, there there were some issues. There were, certainly were some technical cleanups and I think some just wording that was, that was inappropriate uh, or, or that probably the, the authors did not really understand that, that that was how the bill was drafted, per se, but it would have created a single kind of water czar, single uh, water agency. Uh, it would have actually created a tax on water, which uh, we you know that there is a tax or a kind of a, a user fee that's on certain uh, water users today. But this would have really opened it up uh, across the board, and and you know that's something our grassroots policy book uh, is adamantly opposed to a single natural resource agency and uh, additional taxes on on water consumption. So. Sure. Therefore, we uh, we did oppose the bill, um, and uh, we're, we're we're obviously still in conversations today with a lot of different groups around the state. Again, we know there are some challenges, there are some shortcomings, but introducing a bill on a Friday and and holding markups and hearings the the very next Tuesday uh, that that's really no way to to run the railroad. <laughs> Not the way to make that, especially with such an important issue like water. I know it's such a hot topic in the state because I mean we're depleting it. I mean I know that we've talked about it. 
In years past, the Oglala Aquifer and, and some of the water tables that we see in the state continue to be depleted. So this is a very serious issue. How are we doing right now when it comes to water tables, replenishing the aquifers and trying to have a stable water supply for Kansans? It is. It's a very serious topic. And, and when you go from west to east, I'll, I'll pick on my friends in Hamilton and Stanton County, Wallace County, they average roughly 14 to 16 inches of annual precipitation, rainfall, snow melt, etc. You go down to, to southeast Kansas, Cherokee and Crawford County, and they're almost 40 inches of annual rainfall. Sure. So just that, that rainfall gradient that we experience across the state of Kansas it is actually, in fact, greater across the state of Kansas than it would be from the Kansas border all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. So uh, when you start talking about rainfall, but then you also add into the, into the mix the, uh, the surface water conversations that we're having in, in many of the reservoirs across the state. And then, yes, Andy, you specifically mentioned the Ogallala Aquifer. That is part of the High Plains. So when we're talking Scott County and Hoxie and and even you know a little bit further east to Dodge City, that would be the uh, the Ogallala Aquifer. But as you continue to move further east, and you get into Pratt and Stafford and St. John and Great Bend, uh, that is no longer the Ogallala Aquifer. That's actually uh, uh, part of the High Plains Aquifer, and and they have a different GMD that regulates that specific region. And then kind of bringing it home to the Greater Wichita area, there would be the Equus Beds uh, Groundwater Management District, which is headquartered in Halstead, but kind of regulates and and uh, has uh, local management control within Reno, McPherson, Harvey and Sedgwick County. Uh, so when we talk about issues of overdraft and quote-unquote water mining, that is more of a conversation that, that, that does take place there in the Ogallala, but we're very fortunate, or, or certain groups are very fortunate in the uh, Stafford and, and Great Bend area, and then certainly in the Equus Beds. Those are rechargeable aquifers, sure. meaning uh, you know, we, we do, within reason, uh, some of it's a 10%, some of it would be closer to 20%, but within about a 10 to 25% range, we are sustainable, meaning what we actually withdraw from the groundwater, uh, the good Lord, and, and you know, an abundant year, the good Lord recharges with natural precipitation, so we kind of get to static or, or status quo and, and sustainable. So that is one of the conversations that I, I think we have to understand from a statewide perspective, with 105 counties, with the Ogallala, with the Great Bend, uh, the Big Bend Prairie, and then with uh, the Equus Beds, how we manage it locally is very, very different. So there is not a one-size-fits-all, and certainly how you manage groundwater is a lot different than how you would manage a, a surface water body, like the Arc River, you go further east, you know, El Dorado Reservoir, and and, and certainly even further on east. That, that is a very different management tool that uh, locals use to, to control surface than groundwater. Yeah, well, like you said, what a concept, you know, having a local control based on the different individual needs because it's a completely different need for different parts of the state. We're talking with Ryan Flickner, Kansas Farm Bureau, KFB.org is the website. Let's shift gears to COVID-19. Obviously, COVID for the last two years has caused it a lot of issues in a lot of different industries, agriculture being one of them. We had the processing meat plants in the western part of the state that had a lot of issues with COVID and the protocol and the social distancing and all those issues. Farmers in the rural communities with some of the high COVID-19 rates and cases there. How are we doing agriculturally overall coming out of COVID, and are we getting almost back to normal now? 
Well, Andy, what what is normal or the new normal? And uh, I've often heard uh, whether it was the Tyson fire at, at the facility they have in Holcomb even before COVID or certainly some of uh, what you articulated with the, the slowdown in the supply chain when it came to processing livestock. We, we've, we've had not uh, one black swan, but it seems like an entire flock of black swan events that have really impacted agriculture for the, the better half of three or four years now. And um, yeah, we're hearing a lot about COVID or supply chain disruptions uh, all across the state. Uh, one thing that you know hasn't been mentioned yet is just the exorbitant cost of, of fuel. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, they, they don't like to pay the four dollars and twenty cents or whatever it would be in Wichita today for for gas, but you know, oftentimes add another dollar, sometimes two dollar for on road diesel, so that the the wheat truck can you know take the harvest into town into the elevator. So supply chain disruptions. Uh, access to fertilizer and in other inputs, including chemicals. Number one, can you get it? And number two, if you can get it, uh, oftentimes paying two to three times what you would have just a year ago. So it, it, it is a conversation we're having. Uh, whether we want to blame, you know, COVID for some of the shutdowns over overseas, say Shanghai or Beijing, or is it some of the COVID uh, uh, hangover, if you will, from some of the ports, ports of Long Beach? on the West Coast, or even some of the, the bigger challenges that I know we've been facing is the Class 1 railroads. So think mm -hmm. Union Pacific, BNSF, et cetera. They've not only had a big retirement of conductors and engineers, but uh, COVID's also impacted some of them. So can, can you actually move the supply throughout the entire supply chain and ultimately get it to the farm field or, or the ranch and, and be able to utilize it? it? It's been a real challenge for the better part of two going on three years now. That really has. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's so many different directions we can go with that conversation as well with supply chain issues. I mean, right now we're seeing input costs dramatically higher for farmers going into planting season, not being able to get fertilizer because of a lot of that coming from China right now. As you mentioned, trying to get the grains that they are able to harvest and get out into the global market. We have the Russia-Ukrainian thing that's causing some global issues. A lot of countries just stopping the exporting of some of their grains overall as well uh, that we saw with India and some other countries as well. I mean, it, this is concerning, isn't it? Especially for Kansas farmers that are trying to start or get prepared for their winter wheat harvest here in just a you know the next month or so, and at the same time putting their uh, regular grains into the into the ground right now with their planting season. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, I, I said it just a few minutes ago. I'll say it again. It's not a a black swan. It is a, a true flock of black swans that we've just been dealing with one challenge after the next. Um, and I think that's the challenge now that we've seen with Russia and Ukraine and, and some of the geopolitical battles. Uh, we, we just don't know what, what's going to happen next. Yeah. And uh, as you start, you know, from a farm perspective, you, you mentioned wheat harvest. Uh, most farmers in Kansas went and sowed their, their wheat crop in late September and October of last year. And that crop has been in the ground and growing. And, you know, we've got drought. Some areas more recently, we've got flooding events. But, yeah, they're, they're, the farmers are hopeful to go to harvest here in, in another week or two, certainly down in the Sumner and, and Cowley County area. And that will move north uh, throughout the late June and early July. But same thing when we come to the fall harvested crops. Uh, most, uh, most farmers, because we had an open spring window uh, a month or so ago before it did start raining, so uh, a lot of acres got planted to corn and soybeans and grain sorghum cotton in the uh, late March and April and even early May time frame. 
but yeah, what uh, what is the market going to look like when we go to harvest uh, those crops, those commodities in September, October, November timeframe? Is the market still going to be there? Yeah. Is there going to be some grand compromise uh, with with Russia and Ukraine, and all of a sudden, forty percent of the global supply of wheat all of a sudden comes back on the market overnight? Uh, all of a sudden, you you don't have wheat quite as high as it is today, if if that in fact holds true. Uh, very similar, you know, uh, uh, two weeks ago, we all would have said we're back in a 2012-2011 type drought. Uh, the drought further out west, it's still there. So, you know, are we still going to have any any type of production to, to be able to actually capture some of the commodity prices being at some of the high levels that they are now? So uh, we're still a long ways away from harvest, even, even with wheat. Um, you know, God forbid, we, we don't want the white combine, i.e. hail, to come and, and wipe out a wheat crop a day before harvest, but that's been known to happen before. Uh, we certainly hope we continue to get some of the moisture events that we've experienced here the last week or two all throughout the, the growing season for our corn and soybeans and grain sorghum and cotton, but that's also a long ways away to harvest in September. So it is really challenging. You know, there's been a lot of quotes out there. The the farmers, the one of the few that buys everything at retail and sells everything wholesale. Uh, so when we have to buy the input products like we do today at the at the prices that they are, and then we don't have the guaranteed certainty of actually being able to harvest something and take it to market, that there is a tremendous amount of volatility and a tremendous amount of risk that the, the farmer and the rancher is is taking on their chin right now. Yeah, that is very true. Now let's talk about it from the consumeristic side. We're seeing the news about a food shortage because of everything that you just mentioned with the quality of grain that's going in, the prices of the grain, the lack of export stuff that's on the global market because of all the world issues right now. Then we hear about the distribution and the processing plants that have caught fire. So many of them in the last year or so to where we're scratching our head, where like really a General Mills plant, you know, gets hit by a plane with a crash, like just weird things happening there. And now we're hearing about this massive food shortage from your perspective, Ryan. I mean, how bad is this food shortage going to be on the consumer side? And should we start growing our own gardens in our backyard right now? Well, I, I think, you know, probably for, for stress management, uh, I know I enjoy going around uh, the backyard and, and uh, picking some fresh uh, fruits and vegetables with my kids. Uh, so I, I encourage folks to do that. You know, I, I don't want to be an alarmist. I don't think uh, it's a matter of a day or a week or even a month, and, and we're going to kind of maybe get back into the hoarding that we saw early in, in the pandemic with COVID. So I'm certainly not you know trying to be an alarmist with that. But I do think as you look at some of the conversations that are taking place, even domestically, but certainly globally, uh, and Andy and I, you know, we were talking uh, uh, before I think we went live here, about a conference I was out in California with last week, and you know they they grow 400 different commodities in California. Mm. Uh, and one of the the conversations that they they were articulating it's not only a labor shortage of getting folks to go out and pick fresh berries and leafy greens and tomatoes and peppers and everything else, but it's also the uh, water challenges that the state of California is facing with a a, a historic drought. So uh, one one commodity that they uh, they were kind of saying, hey, just be careful about is tomatoes, and that not only includes the fresh tomatoes, but tomatoes that they would put into to canning and and other products like tomato paste and uh, spaghetti sauce, etc. So I I think we'll be okay from a global perspective, uh, but it you know just as trade continues to be disrupted. Uh, you figure out who your allies are, if there are new trading agreements and partnerships, et cetera. 
you know, in, in a period of probably five plus years ago, it was very easy to articulate, okay, trading partner A is going to trade directly with trading partner B. Sure. But now that we've got uh, geopolitical tensions, we've got trade wars, we've got a whole number of other you know things that are happening, grower A or trading partner A may in fact have to go to trading partner C, D, and E, and then trading partner E is going to trade back with trading partner B. So the entire efficiency and, and some of the terminology that, that's, that's been used, we have really moved from a just-in-time uh, supply chain, and that includes food, and, and that includes parts, and, and so many other components. So from moving from a just-in-time system, it seems like we're becoming a lot more protectionist all across the globe, that we're going to build an additional warehouse, we're going to build an additional storage bin, or an additional tank that, that you know we can make sure that our fuel supply or make sure that our input uh, chemicals are, are, are all there at the ready so we're not dependent on somebody else to get that product to us. And with that, you know, that, that may be the right thing that we need to do, but certainly with that, it, it does lessen uh, and, and creates additional burdens because we're just not as efficient as we once were. Sure. Um, so do, you want, do we want efficiency? Do we want uh, guaranteed supply? That is, I think, the teeter-totter that we're currently riding all up and down the supply chain. Sure. That is very true. Last question before we let you go, and I appreciate the time uh, in the last couple of minutes, but feeding off of that, some of the policies coming out of Washington, D.C. regarding maybe the centralization and consolidation of processing plants, especially on the meat and the livestock side of things, trying to get uh, farmers to actually grow in some of the fields that they don't normally do in their rotations. Do you think that's going to help the situation? Is that going to complicate some things? Is that going to be worse off later on down the road? Uh, How do you think we're handling this? You know, I, I think, again, this is a conversation that we, we've been having for decades, certainly on the livestock side, but even more so on some of the chemical and, and fertilizer companies and, and consolidation. Is that good, bad? Is it indifferent? Yeah. Uh, I go back, and, and I would argue that a lot of the consolidation has been because of government regulation. Yes, we all want uh, food safety and, and to make sure that our leafy greens don't have salmonella and you know, our steak doesn't have E. coli and, and so on and so forth. But because of government, uh, we, we have often forced consolidation because the, you, you just, the, the law of efficiency and you have to get bigger because of the compliance department and, and inspections and so on and so forth. So. There it is. That was Ryan Flickner, Kansas Farm Bureau, KFB.org. Go and check those guys out to see all the information they have. Great conversation with Ryan Flickner. Kind of opened up our eyes, I think, to a lot of the industry as we see things behind the scenes in the agricultural side. For those that may not be uh, technically involved in it, now we have a better understanding of what's going on on how the food gets to our shelves and why, why right now the prices are so daggone high to go to the grocery store and get the stuff that you need. We'll take a break, bottom of the hour on the home stretch, last half hour of the show. When we come back, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General, candidate for governor here in the state of Kansas. We'll talk with him on Kansas Talk, moving through your Saturday morning right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Boy, how this show flies right on by. Welcome back into the show on the home stretch here, last half hour, the weekend with Michael Brown right around the corner at the top of the hour here on KQAM as well. As a reminder, make sure to stay tuned in for all of our great programming all week long. We have Brian Kilmeade, we have John Wright in the morning for your first thing 
Morning drive, morning traffic, news, weather, egg, sports, all that good jazz. Bongino, the man himself, Dan Bongino, live in the middle of the day from 11 to 2. We have Todd Starnes, 2 to 4, yours truly here on our national broadcast of The Voice of Reason at 4 o'clock and in the great Joe Pags coming up in the evenings, along with Mark Walters, by the way, with Armed American Radio at 8 p.m. That one is always a great program. I'd fill in for it a lot. I'm usually on there as a guest about once a week or so. So uh, I know that he gets a lot of feedback and response from you, the listener right here from the KQAM in Wichita area. So that's awesome. And we love you guys and appreciate that very much. Real quickly on the egg side, we did get the news this week that a bunch of cattle died in the southwestern portion of the state. And it was interesting to see a lot of the conspiracies thrown out there as soon as it happened and as soon as it was reported, which it is a little weird, isn't it? I mean, it kind of just here's here's where my red flag and radar kind of pops up is when you see distribution facilities and processing plants of food. All over the country, near 30 of them over the last 10 months or so, just going up in flames or getting hit by planes as an, as an accident. Oops, the airplane ran into it. Our bad. What? What are you talking about? Then a whole bunch of them just go up in flames and just catch fire. Oopsies. Then we had the chicken plant on the East Coast that had like, I don't know, 10, 20,000 chickens, whatever that was, that just caught fire and killed all of those chickens. Then we had a pork plant that just got shut down because we found out it was actually owned by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party government, that ran a the one of the largest uh, hog uh, farms in the country. Shut that down. Then we have near 10,000 cattle here in Kansas that just fall down dead where everybody's saying, do according to the Kansas Livestock Association, according to the Kansas Farm Bureau, according to the farmers out there, that it was just the perfect storm of extreme heat that the cows weren't necessarily used to yet, plus the lack of wind to actually cool them down and blow and kind of calm them down a little bit, plus the humidity that they're not used to where everything just kind of hit and they couldn't handle it and they just all fell down dead. So whether it's a conspiracy or not, I'm getting very frustrated about hearing about all of these issues with our food while we already have a food shortage going on globally because of the Russia and the Ukrainian war and Ukraine being the breadbasket of Europe with near 40 percent of global exports on grains and wheat uh, coming out of that country. And then this stuff happens in our country. It's almost like they're wanting us to starve. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. I'm just saying weird stuff's happening. And I think I have a right to say that. All right, let's shift gears a little bit here. Uh, we sat down with Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General and candidate for governor here in the state of Kansas. We talked a lot about uh, things going on here in the state and what he's working on to fight against the Biden administration. And this is what he had to say. Maybe. It's wanting to. It's thinking. Yep. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here in Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Always a pleasure to have you for a weekend. Excited to have this guy back on the program as we get our weekly or monthly update from the Kansas Attorney General's office. It's the man himself, Kansas Attorney General, Mr. Derek Schmidt. Derek, how are you, my friend? Andy, I'm doing great. Thanks. Good to be back with you. Yeah, always good to chat with you. A lot of things going on, obviously, outside of election stuff, uh, which is gearing up, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But just still doing the regular duties as Attorney General, you've got your hands on a lot of stuff right now and a lot of national things where uh, obviously we've talked about how important this position is as attorney general for a state fighting federal policy because there's a lot of things obviously that need to be fought right now including right now uh, title 42 we've talked a lot about that from the federal level with them wanting to repeal title 42 with immigration policy the courts have kind of stopped that you've had your hands in this a little bit as well talk about what's going on and what the latest is 
Yeah, well, Title 42, as you know, is the, the public health limitation that has been used since the Trump administration and through the Biden administration until now uh, to limit the number of folks coming across the border, particularly the asylum seekers. It's a different process, and it's designed to prevent the spread of communicable disease into the United States without checks. So, for example, COVID uh, obviously was what caused it to be deployed during the pandemic. One of the byproducts of using that tool is that it's one of the few things that's happening during the Biden administration that's actually having a positive effect on regulating uh, uh, behavior at the border, on on being able to limit and regulate uh, the number of folks coming across. So it's been an effective tool in managing immigration policy, even though it's designed to be a public health tool. Not surprisingly, perhaps because it works, the Biden administration has decided to stop using it. And so they announced early this year that they were going to lift the Title 42 procedures, which would have the effect of of sort of opening wider, still wider, the floodgates at our southern border. We objected to that, as did many other people, many members of Congress and others. Um, A lot of people living along the border objected to it. And essentially our argument, it was a technical legal argument, because, of course, we're, we're dealing with the legalities. Our argument was you can't just snap your fingers and say no to any more Title 42 limitations. You have to go through the ordinary procedure of changing federal rules, and that requires the opportunity for public input and comment. Uh, The administration didn't do that. We sued them. Federal courts so far have agreed with us. We currently have an injunction that is blocking the administration from lifting Title 42. They've appealed that injunction, and so the legal battle continues. But here's the bottom line. Um, The administration itself, their own numbers, acknowledge that if Title 42 goes away without some type of substitute follow-on plan in place to continue to limit uh, the uh, the further flood across the southern border, uh, they expect a uh, skyrocketing, like a tripling of the number of people uh, trying to cross the border each day. And already the border is overwhelmed. You triple the numbers. Uh, it is obviously very, very concerning. So we're going to keep fighting. It is very concerning. I'm glad that we have Title 42 that President Trump put into place uh, during the COVID pandemic for the health reasons. The sad part is that now that seems to be like the only hold that we have on limiting illegal immigration coming into the country. We have all these immigration laws, and we've always said it would fix itself if we would just enforce the laws that are on the books. And now it seems like everything kind of hangs on Title 42 on whether we actually allow illegal immigrants to, to flood the border or not. Yeah, it's not optimal in terms of the tools. What we ought to have is a direct immigration law that speaks specifically to the, the, you know, the issue of of this group of folks who uh, Title 42 is regulating as they come across the border. And that law ought to be enforced. But in the absence of that, you do the next best thing. And the next best thing is Title 42. Look, the Biden administration uh, is just not committed to security on our southern border. And Uh, You can argue all day long about why. You can speculate. I'll leave that to others. The bottom line is they're not doing their job. And because they're not doing their job, uh, all of us uh, uh, in the states are in a position of having to step into the gap and try to pick up the pieces as best we can. And that's at most an imperfect substitute. There is no real substitute for the federal government doing the job that the Constitution authorizes it to do, and that is to secure the borders of the United States and control uh, access, ingress, and egress, and we, we they must do better. Let's turn to economic issues here for just a moment. Obviously, we've talked a lot about inflation issues and interest rate hikes and uh, the wholesale prices that are going up all over the country. But let's talk about baby formula. Obviously, the shortage that we've seen in the nation right now, we've seen the uh, administration come in with their great white horse that was the planes trying to ship stuff in and import baby formula across the nation. But is it getting any better? And I know that there's some legal issues as well trying to get this industry back on track. Where are we at with this situation? 
Well, I, I hope so. That the plant in Michigan that uh, had been offline for so long had come back online. Now, I just saw a headline uh, in the past couple of days that it may be going offline again for a, a bit uh, with some additional problems. So it looks like that supply chain for baby formula still is not fixed. And so you know, what that causes is a, a lot of, I'll go as far as to say, desperation among parents who really need formula for their kids. It's not like you can wait. There's not really a, a good substitute in some cases. And so uh, you know, people are are in some cases desperate to uh, to get formula for the babes, and they can't get it uh, on the store shelves because the supply chain is disrupted. And so, in some cases, they've turned to you know other sources. They're buying it on the internet or off Facebook Marketplace or on eBay or or whatever it may be. And uh, you know, we've just advised people to be very very careful when you do that. Um, you know, there's obviously a risk of just a straight up scam, and you lose money. You pay for a product online, and it, you send the money, and the product never arrives. Sort of your classic scam that we see lots and lots of in different products yeah. uh, all the time. But even more than that, uh, sometimes you don't really know what you're buying. And here we're talking about baby formula that you're going to feed to an infant, and uh, you know, so double check, make sure you, if you're going to do that, that you have a trusted, reliable source. You know who you're dealing with. Double check and make sure whatever you buy hasn't been opened or, or subject to adulteration or it's expired or anything like that. Just use extreme caution if you're going to go there, and um, hopefully this thing works itself out sooner rather than later and we can get back to normal. Yeah, that would be nice. How much of a shortage have we seen in Kansas? Has it been a crisis here in Kansas, or has it been affecting really some other states more so than, than here? You know, it is uneven around the country, but certainly we, we see reports and just talking with folks around the state, uh, parents around the state. Uh, there are, you know, it, it, you go to the store and the shelves are bare. Uh, it, it's sort of, of, of uh, intermittent is the word I'm looking for. Uh, it seems that some days you find something there and some days you don't. Some stores you find it, some stores you don't. But there's no doubt that the supply chain is interrupted here just as it is around the country. We're talking with Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General for the great state of Kansas here, also candidate for governor here in the state as well. Let's move forward and fast forward just a little bit into the public education years, going from the baby formula to the nutritional programs here in schools. Obviously, that's been a big discussion for a lot of public schools is making sure we have nutritional programs for the kids. The Barack Obama administration focused a lot of time and attention on that program, but now it seems to be tying into the abuse of the federal government, really, with tying the Pride Month and the LGBTQ movement into what kids actually get to eat and how they get to eat in the public schools. Could you enlighten us a little bit on what's going on here? Well, this is just unbelievable to me, Andy, and I, I, I would think as this sort of breaks through into the public discussion, people are going to be outraged. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but I think so. I mean, can you imagine if any leader, but let's say Republicans, if, if, a, if a Republican president, a Republican leader had said, I have a policy on whatever subject that I think every school in the country needs to adopt. And in order to make sure those schools do what I tell them to do, I'm going to withhold their food aid for needy kids until they comply. Yeah. And think about that. There would be outrage all over the country. Well, that's exactly what the Biden administration is doing. Uh, they have adopted this policy, this guidance. It's technically not legally binding, although uh, the reality is most schools are going to wind up choosing to follow it because, you know, even though it's not legally binding, there are consequences. And it, it relates to how schools approach issues of, of gender identity and sexual orientation uh, for the kids. Now, you know, that's a real issue in the country, and, and people have very strong feelings on different sides of it. But that's why we elect local school boards. 
that reflect community interest and people can go down and make their case and say to their school board, do more of this, do less of that, approach this issue differently. But the Biden administration isn't satisfied with this issue sorting itself out as you know every other difficult issue in schools does. So instead, they've adopted guidance that says to schools, you must uh, uh, deal with gender identity issues and transgender issues and sexual orientation issues among your kiddos. You must do that the way we tell you to. And if you don't, we're going to threaten to withhold your school lunch, uh, 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 your school nutrition uh, food. And that is just an unbelievably irresponsible approach on so many levels. It almost just leaves your jaw dropped. But that's where we are. Uh, We've challenged that. uh, We've been in court since August challenging pieces of this effort by the Biden administration to impose their view on these issues all across the country. Uh, and now that they've specifically, uh, you know, raised the threat of punishing schools, punishing kids by withholding uh, school lunches, uh, we've sort of redoubled our efforts there. We just sent them a letter last week and said, don't do that. Uh, we're just going to have another legal fight on our hands. I mean, well, it's, yeah, it's that, just that can't be legal. That can't be legal to say, hey, you know what, we're going to bully you into we, we care for the kids and we love the kids. We want to take care of the kids because that's been the argument from the other side for a long time is, oh, yeah, Republicans don't care about the kids. We need to focus on more for the less fortunate for the kids and school programs and nutritional programs. But you guys need to address LGBTQ uh, and transgender issues in the public school or else you're not going to get money for the school programs to feed the kids. I mean, that's almost inhumane, isn't it? Threatening to withhold food from poor kids in order to proceed on a political objective it, it is just wrong. And yes, I think your words are good one, Andy. It is inhumane. So we're going to fight back against this one hard. And I'm I'm optimistic at the end of the day we're going to win because I think it's illegal what the administration is trying to do. The only question is how long does it take to ultimately prevail and who gets hurt, how many kids get hurt in the meantime. That is heartbreaking. That is really disturbing, the fact that they're trying to push some of this. Uh, how many other states are joining into this fight right now? Uh, I believe there are 20-some of us who joined. I think there's 18 of us that filed the lawsuit in August, and there are 20-some of us, maybe 23 is coming to mind, that just joined in this letter to the Department of Agriculture, which, of course, runs the school nutrition program. It really does blow my mind sometimes how ridiculous these policies are coming from the Biden administration. One more on these before we kind of shift gears a little bit. We're talking with Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Let's talk about energy for a second. We're going into a season with the summer where we're potentially seeing brown and blackouts throughout the uh, country because of the high energy usage. We're still pushing for this green new energy as well with the uh, windmills and the solar panels and the electric vehicles and that sort of thing. But being able to sustain the grid that's already being strained, from what we've been able to see, it seems to be more and more difficult for us to be able to sustain and produce enough energy because of the attack on coal, because of the attack on natural gas, because of the attack on oil, on the pipelines, on producing and building different plants. What's the latest here? Because, again, the Biden administration seems to be prohibiting us from being able to create more energy. Well, we've pushed back on a lot of these Biden administration actions that are are designed to really impede the fossil fuel industry in the United States. And the reason we've done that uh, is that we understood that the United States remains heavily reliant upon fossil fuels as a main source of energy for gasoline, motor vehicles, look at the prices, uh, as well as for generating electricity. We're moving toward renewables, but we're not at a point at this point where you can just really take fossil fuels largely out of the equation and still have reliability and affordability. 
And so um, we've pushed back on that from the start of the administration. You may remember we sued the administration over the president's decision on day one, the day he took the oath of office. He wanted to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline that would have brought in more petroleum products from Canada for refining in the United States. And we, we sued him over that and challenged it. And unfortunately, the company backed down. And so the, the case went away because there was nothing left to fight. But uh, the administration hasn't given up. They're still doing it. And their latest move uh, is there's there's a nationwide sort of standard permitting process for the construction of pipelines. Uh, basically, the idea, it, it flows from the Trump administration, still been in place. Biden now wants to undo it. The idea was that building a pipeline is a fairly standard process regardless of where you're building it. I mean, there are obviously local condition variables that have to be accounted for, but the basics of, of trenching and constructing and connecting the pipe and, and all of that, uh, the basics are the same. And so in order to streamline the, the permitting process for pipelines, uh, the, uh, the, the administration, the feds, have come up with a standard permitting process, basically a template, if you will, that applies everywhere. It really makes the bureaucracy move a lot faster on these pipeline projects. Unfortunately, the Biden administration wants to undo that, uh, and they've really hit the accelerator to undo it. Normally, they wouldn't even re be revisiting um, this bureaucratic thing for another, I think it's another three years, but they want to get to it right now. And of course, they want to make the process more bureaucratic and slow down pipeline construction, expansion, and rebuilding. And so we've challenged them on that. Once again, they've done it all in secret. They didn't do notice and comment rulemaking. They just decreed, here's our new rule. And so we're going to challenge them. But it, you know, it's down in the weeds, mind-numbing stuff. But the bottom line is they continue to want to make it harder to produce and move and, and refine and use fossil fuels in this country as part of their war on energy. And you know, consumers are paying the price. That's a big driver of not just gasoline costs, but inflation all over this country that uh, everybody's struggling with. Yeah, well, like you said, it is an important issue because, I mean, this is what keeps the lights on. This is what keeps gas in the vehicles uh, with these pipelines. And it's not only the pipelines themselves, but it's also building coal plants. It's also building energy-producing plants. If we're trying to go all electric with electric vehicles right now uh, to, with EVs and being able to plug those into the grid every single night. If 5, 10, 15 percent of the population is doing so and putting a strain on the grid, we're already discussing brown and blackouts going into the summer because of the heat all over the country. How in the world are we going to be able to sustain so many more vehicles being plugged in all over the place? So we need to produce more energy, but yet it seems like they're putting in the red tape to not be allowed to produce any more energy by building new plants or building new pipelines. And I don't know what the sustainability plan is here from them. Yeah, Andy, the, the bedrock in all of this is affordability and reliability of energy sources that we all use in our day-to-day -day lives. That's the bottom line. And if you, you can create incentives, you can nudge, you can discuss, you can debate. But at the end of the day, if you let the market function, it will move us in the direction that most Americans want to go. That's how markets work. They react to consumer incentives. Um, and it'll do it in a way that maintains affordability and reliability along the way. But not being satisfied and not being patient enough to wait for the market to, to follow those uh, consumer-based incentives, the Biden administration instead wants to put the heavy hand of government on these marketplaces and say, do it our way or else. Yeah. And the consequence of that is that along the way, they're undermining affordability and reliability and that's why we have record high gas prices it's why inflation is driving through everything in the economy because energy costs trickle through everything in the economy things have to be transported for example uh, and it's why we're seeing headlines about concern about uh, blackouts or brownouts uh, in uh, the summer when the air conditioners are on so it's 
it, it's just the wrong move. And to the extent we can challenge it, we're standing up and doing so because um, you know Americans can't afford much more of this. We got just a couple minutes here, or so but I want to shift gears and I got to ask you about some campaign stuff. Now we're going into election season. Are you out on the trail right now? Are you out talking to people? And how's the campaign going? I am, Andy. I'm out a lot of evenings and I'm out a lot of weekends, and uh, we're out visiting with folks. I feel much better now that I'm able to do that. I've been sort of stuck in Topeka during the legislative session, and I just uh, <laughs> I'm always a happier person when I'm out visiting with uh, with folks and listening to Kansans, and it's been very good. Response is terrific, uh, obviously. President Biden is incredibly uh, unpopular in this uh, state. Uh, likewise, Governor Kelly. I mean, Democrat policies are taking us in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so we're offering folks an alternative, and folks are reacting very strongly to it. Well, it's nice the fact that we're not having either a, a massive primary, that we're united as a Republican Party, and uh, we're united really against Kelly. I mean, I don't know about some internal polls, but at least from uh, public opinion that I've been able to see that you're right. Uh, Governor Kelly has not been the most popular. She's been disastrous during the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, seeing a united front, I am optimistic as we get into election season, not just for the governor's race with you, but really for all the races across the state of Kansas. And I think that uh, come next year, we're going to see some really positive movement in the state. Yeah, I'm very optimistic about that, Andy. I, I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, campaigns are about choices for the future. And mm-hmm. most folks are looking at where we are right now and saying, we don't want more of this. Let's go a different direction. So I I agree with you. I think that Republicans are going to do very well this fall. We can take nothing for granted. We have to offer and execute. Uh, We have to offer uh, a a path that's better for folks, and then we have to execute it once we're entrusted with public office. But I I think that Kansans are going to be in the mood for trying something uh, different, and uh, I think we have it to offer to them. I really agree. Do you think if we are able to, you know, if if you're able to get in there as governor, we have the supermajority Republican to the state legislature, are we able to start putting up some walls against the federal government to when they do pass these these Biden policies that we've just talked about for the last 10, 15 minutes or so that we're able to put up a wall and exercise our 10th Amendment as a state and actually start doing our own thing? I, I do on the whole think we can do much more uh, of that than we're doing right now. I mean, obviously, as you know, we've really challenged a lot of federal actions at the attorney general's office while I've served. And I'm I'm hopeful that uh, we'll have a Republican attorney general to succeed me in that office and that he or she will continue to stand up strong and, and uh, push back on those federal policies. What we haven't had right now is a governor who's willing to join in even that conversation, much less the fight. I mean, Governor Kelly just sort of sits quietly on the sidelines. Uh, doesn't criticize the Biden administration, doesn't push back on federal policies, just sort of sits there and hopes nobody notices that she's a Democrat, just like Joe Biden, and acquiesces in a lot of these things. And so uh, obviously having a Republican governor and a Republican attorney general who will work together and find those areas where we really can make a difference by by, by flexing state authority, pushing back on federal overreach, uh, and trying to reinvigorate the federal system so that we don't all get sucked into the vortex that the Biden administration has created for the country. Uh, I think that's a very exciting prospect, and I think we have a lot to offer. I like that. We're going to be the safe space from the Biden administration here in Kansas. That's what I'm going for. It's Derek Schmidt, Kansas (laughs) Attorney General and candidate for the governorship here in the state. Derek, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. Good luck with the campaign trail. We'll be talking more about that as the summer goes along here. But keep up the fight here as Attorney General as well for now because these issues are extremely important, and we always appreciate what you do, my friend. Thank you so much, Andy. Great to be with you. There it is, Derek Schmidt, Kansas Attorney General and candidate for governor here in the state of Kansas. And good golly, look at that. Time's all done. 
flies right on by. Another day in the books, my friends. That does it for us today, everybody who is a father and a dad. Happy Father's weekend, Father's Day weekend to you. Enjoy the weekend. Celebrate and appreciate and to spend some time with that family. Happy Juneteenth holiday as well. We're back at it on Monday for the Voice Reason for our national broadcast. The weekend with Michael Brown right around the corner here after the top of the hour news on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Until then, we're back at it next weekend. Ryan Beatty, candidate for Cedric County Commission, taking on the left-wing progressive Lacey Cruz. We'll chat with him in studio coming up next week as well, plus a candidate out of Oklahoma. So election season getting underway. We'll do that next week on Candace Talk right here on KQAM. Have a great weekend.